0: Alrighty, righty, hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So today we have a, a pretty interesting founder, uh, definitely a founder that is going to teach us a thing or two about ordering stuff online and, you know, remarkable journey. I mean, we're going to really learn, you know, the, the ups and downs, the, the going through the full cycle as an entrepreneur of building, financing, scaling, and exiting, and you name it. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Ross Lipson. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. So originally born in Southeast Michigan. So how was life growing up there?
1: Yeah, so I was born in West Bloomfield uh, in 1987. I'm 33 years old today. And uh, it's a suburb of Detroit, uh, very sheltered, very comfortable, uh, to say the least, but also had that grit being a suburb of Detroit and that hustle mentality. Um, And, you know, great time to kind of say it on this show and looking at my business career. Um, and when I take that zoom out approach, I see the reason I'm sitting in my seat today and, and doing what I'm doing, a lot of it comes from, the, from day one and how I was raised. So I definitely credit a lot of it to, to, being gro- to growing up in Southeast Michigan and uh, to the two parents that I do have.
0: So tell us about your parents, because I know that they have been always very supportive.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I was fortunate, you know, luck of the draw, if, if, if you will. I'm not sure who chooses who. Uh, It's a deeper question for a different podcast, but uh, I was lucky to to have my dad and mom and still do on my side. Uh, They both really uh, tackle both sides of the spectrum. My dad is an entrepreneur, always has been. He started his business over 35 years ago, longer than I've been around. And he's a a successful entrepreneur in the automotive space, um, especially being in Detroit, Uh, super helpful to be in the automotive space. But Uh, and very different from tech, but what he did was he really implemented and instilled this mindset um, with me and my brother, Zach, who's my co-founder here, that there was no restrictions and limitations in our thought, and that whatever we dreamt up, we should go after, and that we could accomplish it, and, you know, when looking back, it's kind of funny now at this age to realize when we were just 10, 12, 15 years old, me and my brother, and we would have an idea, like I'm sure most uh, young teenagers do. I think the difference was my dad, whether it was an idea, maybe an invention, let's say, he would just call up a patent attorney and we would be sitting in that office the next day. And what seemed so normal at the time, because you don't know much more, you're 12 years old, you have an idea, you're talking to some guy uh, at a table who's going to tell you about your idea from, from an IP standpoint. Now at 33, year old, th- 33 years old looking back, it's crazy to think that, and, and I, wish, I hope more parents do this take a 12-year-old to meet with an IP lawyer. But it wasn't necessarily that any of this was to make sure that we were protected and that this invention came to life in fruition. What really happened in hindsight was he implemented and instilled this mindset and this mentality that um, led to success with both me and my brother and starting companies like Dutchie, which is, if you have an idea, go for it. Um, and he brought this level of confidence that that allowed us to kind of push through which I think is the hardest thing in entrepreneurship is just starting. Um, Nine out of 10, 99 out of 100 people have the idea and don't go forward with it. Uh, and I credit my dad for, for really bringing us up in a way that that wasn't an option. We always went. We always did. Um, and we didn't look at it as success or failure. It was just always what's the next step. Um, and then my mom, she was, you know, it's, it's, it's cliche to say, but I'll argue with anybody. I got the world's best cheerleader on my side. Um, And it's not just from a mother supporting a son standpoint. Um, I threw my mom through the ringer and put her to the test. um, And she was always fully supportive. Uh, Things like, for example, I dropped out of university the first week um, of, of school. And as soon as I called her, instead of a typical response from a parent asking why and pushing that child to stay in school, she understood. She saw the value in me leaving school and she was fully supportive of it. Um, so from the highs to the lows, I want to say she always found I always found support in her and still do today. Um, and, you know, she's been this uh, kind of not only ongoing support, but I should say ongoing therapist um, for me. And it's funny because that is actually her real profession now. But uh, I kind of got lucky in saying to summarize, just marrying that level of support with that level of confidence uh, is definitely what all entrepreneurs you know need from a foundational standpoint. And I was lucky to have it.
0: Absolutely, and and first week of school you drop off. I mean, what what happened?
1: Yeah, so you know, from an early age, I always had that uh, kind of that side hustle mentality going on, and always wanted to. I was, I was fascinated by the world of business. It's funny, drawing back. I in third grade would go to Sam's Club with my mom when it first came out and became mainstream, and I would buy Warheads, a candy that was pretty popular amongst my kids my age. I'd buy Warheads in bulk. On the premise of I open up the bulk package, break it out per unit or per candy, I could sell them for much more. I could sell them for a quarter. And once I had sold through the package, I would make a lot more money than what I bought them for, which was like, you know, the foundation fundamentals of business. Uh, So from selling candy to sample cologne to selling burned CDs when that became popular, uh, Beanie Babies and Pokemon cards, I always had a side hustle going and was fascinated by business. I did very well in school it just wasn't what got me going. It wasn't my thing. Um, so as soon as I got to university, I I was, I was fortunately exposed to an opportunity, which was online food ordering. And there was a group of students at Penn state university, um, that were dabbling and dipping their toes in the water and finding success in online food ordering. And when we found each other and partnered up, I was able to launch online food ordering, uh, for my university at Michigan State. and that's what led to what I'm doing today. That's that's where my education, I would say, comes from. And, uh, you know, as soon as I had that idea, I reached out to my parents and said, I have an idea I want to go full force with. And, uh, you know, school's not for me. And that was when we made the shift and dropped out.
0: So I guess uh, when going about building a business, because I'm sure that, you know, obviously this is the segue to your first company. I'm sure that you got, you know, one piece of advice, you know, from your dad, you know, like maybe. After that call that you made, saying that you had an idea and that you want to go about it, you know what was that? Perhaps that piece of advice that he gave you before going out. You
1: know, it's interesting. My dad's got a great style that I admire, and I'm unfortunately not able to do yet. Hopefully, I can get there. But my dad has a really beautiful style of management where he does not micromanage at all. Um, in fact, it's a almost a counterintuitive answer, if I, or, or the opposite answer as you'd expect. He didn't tell me anything, and I think the beauty of it is he didn't have to. It was a mindset that to kind of draw back to that first question and my answer is he he brought this mindset on and instilled it at a really early age so as soon as i saw the opportunity i knew to jump forward and just just what's the next steps what does forward progress look like and you know he's been he's done a really good job still today with dutchy he doesn't get stuck in the weeds um pun and no pun intended there uh with my current current uh company dutchy being in the cannabis space but uh You know, he really doesn't micromanage and he knows that it's up to me to figure it out. So he's more there for that mindset and that mentality. Now, when an occasional situation comes up, he's fun to be a, you know, sounding board and bounce ideas off of, but he's got a knack for not answering and more for just having that mindset and instilling that that energy around um, the thought process on, on starting a business.
0: So then obviously here you, you drop off, you know, from school and what happened next?
1: Yeah, so I partnered with this group, um, a group of guys that had that entrepreneurial spirit, and, and started to learn about online food ordering. And together, we started to dive deep um, into the world, this new world of online food ordering. So keep in mind, this was before many of the companies we know of today: DoorDash, Uber Eats, Postmates, um, Grubhub was uh, was launched, but very small. I think just in Chicago with a few restaurants. So it was very uncharted territory. It was also a nascent industry that was soon to be explosive. And, you know, we all know that now, but, um, this was at a fun time where we were, uh, very scrappy, especially being 18 years old. And, uh, but with technology, with the current state of technology back then, you know, there was no apps. Um, most people didn't have computers yet. Restaurants had no idea what technology could do for them or how to use it. And there we were bringing fax machines around to restaurants to just say, plug this in and let me send you orders. And the common response was, why? What? I don't get it. And we just would say, don't worry about it. Let us just send you orders. And we knew that they would get hooked as soon as they saw the business come in. And we knew that there was no reason to really go too deep into explaining what we were really trying to do. We just needed to get our foot in the door. And then the rest was history. So, Uh, It was your traditional grassroots uh, guerrilla approach to pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, showing up at restaurants with fax machines, taking their menu and saying, don't ask questions. Let me send you orders. And then on the flip side, hitting the consumer, which was fun. We would I'll never forget me and my partner, Howie, waking up at four in the morning um, on Tuesday mornings because we would run a two dollar Tuesday special. And what we would do is we would we would kind of break into every classroom. Most of them were still locked and we would write on every single chalkboard of every single class at our campus, $2 Tuesday, go to go or we would stick little flyers under the mouse pads at the library. And it was as scrappy as scrappy can be, but it worked and it was extremely cost effective. And it really taught us that grit, that grind and what it's like to be in the trenches of, of the first days of a, of a scrappy startup. So. Uh, happy to have gone through that process
0: and how did you go about uh financing the operation? yeah, so fortunately back then financing wasn't as critical as
1: it is today um, and we did we, we were able to kind of bootstrap the company uh, and the model that we had was uh, very cost effective we weren't uh you know our, our cap it wasn't a capitally intense project, and we were, so we were able to self fund and bootstrap it
0: so then how how big did it get because obviously it ended up getting a nice uh, outcome. The company got acquired, but how, how big was was it at the time of the transaction?
1: Yeah, this is where the story gets a bit interesting, and we had to take a big uh, left turn. Um, what happened was, as each university, as this group scaled to each university, as e- in each new market, it we, the 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 company fragmented itself, and in a way that each market had its own brand, right? So there was Go Green menus, for example, at Michigan State, and Eat Blue at University of Michigan, and so on and so forth, and each Uh, market had its own little team that owned a piece of their market, kind of like a licensee or a franchisee model. And it was really good out of the gate. You know, there was quick traction uh, and built a large team with a large footprint. But at scale, we came to realize quickly that there was a problem at scale here that we would have to, in order for this business as a whole to take it to the next level, one, you got to raise capital. And the cap table was pretty messy with students at each market owning a little piece of their pie, of of their market, as well as, you know, a fragmented product and, and you weren't able to leverage one brand name from a marketing standpoint. So what happened was me and my partner, Howie, um, decided to, uh, we approached the, the the group, our partners, and, and we left. Uh, we exited that group. And what we did was we moved to Canada. Um, and this is where I think the interesting, the story starts to accelerate. Uh, we were, first of all, in Michigan. So a quick jump over the border. And now we're in Canada, a new country. We saw it as an untapped market. We found that the thesis of and the the value of the model in online food ordering was proven. We proved it in the states. Our co- a company and our competitor, Grubhub, was showing that there was they were finding traction and success as well. So once we had checked off the box of this model being successful and us understanding how this model works, we opened up our sites and saw Canada as an opportunity. It was an untapped market. Nobody was doing online food ordering up there. So in 2008, me and Howie packed up our bags. Uh, moved to Toronto, um, and we launched Grub Canada, which was Canada's first online food ordering service. So we had a a blank canvas with a proven model. Um, We bootstrapped it uh, again uh, with with the proceeds from the first project, and uh, we, we really scaled this business quickly. We came screaming out of the gate, and within the first two years, we had thousands of restaurants, all major cities in Canada, and really developed a household name amongst our consumer base. Um and and saw this business start to scale. Um to kind of jump ahead here, that led to uh the outcome, which is what you asked. In 2012, uh just the uh one of the world's largest online food ordering services at the time and still is today. They were they were uh, based out of London in, in the UK and a publicly traded company on the London Stock Exchange. They moved into Canada and acquired Grub Canada in 2012.
0: Nice. So then so then tell us about this acquisition process because uh, you know, this was the the biggest uh, significant deal that you had done, you know, until you know that date. You know, you obviously had not raised any money, it was all bootstrapped. So I guess the deal making side of it was obviously something new for you. So I'm sure that you learned a thing or two. So tell us about that process, the acquisition process here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Just Eat is a company that does grow through acquisition. So they had been through it many times before and we had not. Um and it was definitely an eye-opener. Uh, I think acquisitions are, are not cut and dry, and one size does not fit all. Our acquisition was a very lengthy process, and it was with a competitor, um, direct competitor in the market they had just launched in Canada. So it was a bit unique in the sense of trying to be uh, careful on the information we, we gave up, but also needing to expose ourselves to make the acquisition uh, possible. So it was a lot of song and dance. It took a lot longer than I would have expected. Um, and the realization of an acquisition is is you know you you come to understand, don't let the cart get up the, ahead of the horse and don't let excitement outsmart you. Um nothing's over until it's really over. So fortunately, we got through it, but it was a definitely a very lengthy process um, when running the due diligence. and uh, you know, I learned after that, it's always helpful to to button yourself up from an earlier stage uh, than 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 a later stage. But uh the acquisition was great and you know it it filled us financially and personally it filled us up um but you know it was an interesting spot where they acquired the company but then offered myself and howie employment roles to help run Just Eat Canada um so now I was from 18 to 25 years old had my head down um was full on in the office and working Whereas the typical 18 to 25 year olds doing the opposite, they're having fun socializing with their friends, hopefully at parties if they're doing it right, and learning the way of the world outside of work. Um, whereas I started to see that you know the value in the other side outside of the, the world outside of the office, and I wanted to make sure it didn't pass me up. So I actually passed on the employment offer. My partner Howie took it, and he's still at Just Eat today as the country manager of Canada, which has been a phenomenal story a Cinderella story of success. Um, And that led me to the next leg of my life. I I bailed on the employment opportunity. We took the acquisition, went forward and was great. And that, uh, yeah, that led me to the next phase of my life, which of course eventually led to Dutchie.
0: Nice. So then, let's talk about that. Obviously the acquisition is wrapped up. And then what you decide to do is you go and, and get in a car and become addicted to the road. And more than anything, you find yourself. So tell us about this process of finding yourself.
1: Yeah, I think you know we're all called a cocktail or a concoction of everything that's led up to this point in time, right? Um, you know, you are who you are because of the people around you and your experiences, right? That's that's I think fair to say that's who we are at, at at this present moment. And when I look back at my life as a whole, there are a lot of impactful times. We've gone over a few of them on this um, on the podcast so far, but I would argue that the most important and impactful time in my life was what you just alluded to, which is I sold the company. I was 25 years old. I was over the moon personally financially fulfilled and decided I'm going to pack up my car and aimlessly drive across the country or aimlessly drive, hit, hit the road and living in Vancouver, BC. So I, to backtrack, I had started the business in Toronto, but moved to Vancouver to build business out West. And when living in Vancouver, it's a beautiful city, one of my favorite cities in the world, I got bit by that beautiful nature bug. I found myself spending my weekends at Whistler and spending my weekdays dreaming about my weekends at Whistler, loving the hikes, uh, the outdoors, and just the, the wilderness that surrounds Vancouver. And when I sold the company, so I hit the road, and fortunately, I was right, I crossed the, the border back into the States, and there I was in the, the Pacific Northwest. and Anybody that's been through it will will know, uh, and if you haven't, I encourage it. It's it's you know to each his own. It's a one of the most beautiful places I would say in the world, uh, definitely in North America. And there I was on the road, uh, nowhere to go, nowhere to be, no clock, and I started zigzagging from mountain to mountain. Um, I've always been an avid snowboarder; it's a passion of mine, and I married snowboarding with the the, the love for outdoors, camping, and hiking. And I, I that was that was the guide for this road trip, and I went from mountain to mountain from Mount Baker to Alpentall and the Snoqualmie Pass to Crystal through Washington and then dip down into Oregon to Mount Hood. And I found somebody and you know, there's two parts I want to kind of highlight here on this road trip. One, I met somebody in Mount Hood, uh, snowboarding, uh, a snowboarding, a snowboarder who I became quick friends with. We connected and they learned of my road trip and that I had nowhere to be, nowhere to go. And it was kind of aimlessly driving. And they shared with me, the town of Bend, Oregon, which they said this town—I have a house. That's where I'm from. You could come, follow me, and stay there. You got to, you got to check it out. It's beautiful, and there's a mountain, Mount bachelor that you'll love. So I had never heard of Bend, Oregon, and I, I followed that person the next day, and I had my one of my first aha moments in my life. I stumbled upon this utopic, small, happy, healthy town of Bend, Oregon. Absolutely stunning, surrounded by the mountains with a river running through it and lakes all around. And I went snowboarding at Mount Bachelor, the local resort, and it was on Bluebird pow Day on the end of April. And if you ski or snowboard, you'll know what I meant right there, but a picture-perfect day. And I just fell in love and decided right then and there, this is is home. And once done with the road trip, I would make my way back to Bend, which is where I'm at and our business is headquartered today. Um, But to go forward on this, on that road trip, I really started to find myself and learn a lot about myself. And I value that greatly because I'm able to bring a lot of the the lessons and the values I learned not only about myself but about others and how to maneuver situations. Um, And I bring that to my present day life every day, whether it's with my relationships, with my wife or my uh, friends, but more so also now for this uh, context for my business and for our our team here. You know, you the, the road is a beautiful place to be, and 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 you're you're forced into situations that aren't in your control. Um, what you eat, when you eat, where you sleep, uh, how you get from point A to B. Uh, there's a lot of things that, a lot of curveballs that are thrown your way. And I'll always bring that back to one constant theme that started day one in my life, which is mindset. If you have the proper mindset going into any situation, it'll greatly affect the outcome and the outcome will be positive because really at the end of the day, an outcome is just a perception of, of what we believe. And that perception is based on a mindset. So, uh, you know, it really opened my eyes up and it really implemented this beautiful mindset and, and uh, willingness to understand what comes my way sometimes is out of my control, but it's a matter of how we're going to get through it. And, and that, that's what, you know, I, I find a lot of value in and uh, definitely one of the more impactful times of my life for sure.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I always say that life at the end of the day is a sequence of events, just like in business. And the only thing that matters is how you react to it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so re- really, cool. So then tell us about Dutchie. So obviously here you decide that you're going to go here. Uh, you're you, you basically have the headquarters there, but, but tell us about you know, how you come across this idea and how essentially you brought it to life because also you did this with your brother. So tell us about this. Yeah.
1: So it's a fun story. I was now after that road trip, made my way back to Bend and I took a couple years off. I ended up getting married, got the dog, got the house, Traveled a bit and did the fun things outside of what was fun to me uh, and important to me outside of the office. And I was itching to get back in the driver's seat. You know, I think once an operator, always an operator. And it's, you know, I had that fire in me. Uh, Of course, I'm still young and was younger then. Um, And at that time, I was 30 years old. I'm living in Oregon. Uh, To take one step back, I've always been extremely passionate about cannabis. From an early age, adopting the, the plant and the product and consuming to the people the culture, I hated the stigma of it. I just loved what it did for me. I'm a type A personality. And, you know, keep in mind, this was a time where it was illegal, right? And, but, but when I was exposed to it and I saw the effects it had on me being a type A personality, I'm moving really quickly uh, physically, emotionally, and, you know, mentally. And for me, I love that it cut, took the edge off and it shifted my perspective on my thought at the end of a day. And so I had this passion for cannabis, and now I'm in Oregon. I'm 30 years old, and Oregon was one of the first states to legalize. Um, in fact, the first state to legalize delivery. And I'm in Bend, Oregon, which is has now 30 35 dispensaries for a town of 100,000. So per capita, pretty dense from a cannabis standpoint. And a dispensary opened up on the first day of legalization. Uh, just two blocks from my house and there I am excited like everybody else, not everybody, most people uh, about this legalization of cannabis, this surreal idea that you can go to a store and legally shop and talk and buy buy cannabis. And I get there and I'm in line with like 200 people. I'll never forget it. And I'm in a line out the door around the corner. And I'm thinking, as you can imagine, very quickly, the light bulb goes off in my head. Online ordering for the cannabis space, and who better to do it than me? I have the experience and the education. I used to joke around and say I have my PhD in online ordering, and my passion's cannabis. And if I inter- the, the intersection of those two, out came Dutchy, and that, you know that, that was the birth story. And it was funny. I I realized then and there too, not only the idea of how beautiful online ordering would be uh, and fill a void for the cannabis space. You know the convenience of it. Like in food, online food ordering brings a level of convenience to the customer. You're not using, you know, uh, an online food ordering platform today to get the best meal in the city. If you go to New York City and you want the best meal, you're not, you're probably not going to order DoorDash, Postmates, Uber. You're probably going to go read some blogs or ask some foodies or some food experts and have a sit, sit you know, dine in experience and, and pay a high ticket price. Where, where these online food ordering services really come in is the convenience that you have this optionality, this selection at your fingertips and the process is, is efficient. From tracking the order to paying and to to, to placing the order. And in cannabis, there was that level of convenience there. Absolutely. As I stood in line and realized how beautiful it would have been, convenient it would be to skip this line and to be able to place an order. But more so in cannabis, I saw this value in online ordering. Ultimately, that would become in the education because different from food, cannabis, the menus are for one, forever changing and they're really long. And there's a lot of important information. For each product that l- lends itself to an educated buying experience. So to dive a little bit into that, when you order food, you could pick a genre. Let's say I want pizza, I'm good for pepperoni, mushroom, onion. That's what I order, no matter what restaurant it is. And it's pretty easy. There's not much education there. I don't really care what type of cheese it is or the the the, the type of pepperoni or dough or the process that they use. But now shift gears to cannabis. You don't just say, I want cannabis. First, yes, it's a category. I might want flour. Let's use for example. But now I want to learn the THC and CBD percentages. I want to learn the type. Is it a sativa, indica hybrid? I want to see a photo. I want to read a description, maybe learn about the farm, understand the effects this product's going to have, because all products are different. And um, they, they differ greatly, far more than maybe a slice of cheese pizza differs from another slice of cheese pizza. And furthermore, on the education of what I want, it's what does this dispensary have in stock today? Because every single day, these dispensaries are selling out of products and getting in new products. So I quickly learned and checked off my boxes that there was a void in the cannabis space. This nascent explosive industry inevitably would be explosive. Um, Didn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, that there was the opportunity in cannabis. But the idea of online ordering really struck me, not only for the convenience, but for the education that the consumers would have to help make their buying process and decision easier. And that's really the start of Dutchie and what birthed Dutchie.
0: So then let's talk about now giving birth to Dutchie. And also more than that, you know, obviously the the team, you know, I've heard you say that team and people, you know, are very important. So, so obviously part of that and, and the initial pieces were really, you know, bringing your brother, you know, to this. So how has it been uh, working with your brother?
1: Yeah. Uh, so right away, whenever I have an idea or when anybody has an idea, anybody Listening has, a, has the same, I imagine has a similar process. When you have an idea, if you think it's worth, if you're comfortable and confident in sharing that idea, you go to your immediate network and you just look for feedback. Your immediate network could consist of friends, close friends, family, um, acquaintances and business, peers. And for me, my brother was always one of the first people, if not the first people person I go to in my immediate network for feedback on an idea. And keep in mind, I was always an ideas guy. So I, I was the type that had an idea every every other day um, and would go to, you know, my brother, my 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 wife now, my friends, and tell my idea. And 99 out of 100 times, you go to the immediate network and their job is to play devil's advocate. And most ideas, you know, I, I, you spray and pray usually. And 99 out of 100 ideas get knocked down pretty quickly. And I'll say something about my brother. So Zach... He's also a co-founder and has that entrepreneurial spirit from an early age. He started many, many, he he founded many startups, all in tech, prior to Dutchie. And a lot of them were, were very successful. And he sees business also from a similar but different lens. His trade is he was an artist growing up, and he really had a knack for design, which transformed into an understanding of really product and how product maps to business. So he was the, the one that married business acumen with product, uh, strategy, and vision. And I was more business acumen married to the energy and the sales and marketing of business. So we are, in a sense, two peas in a pod. And I always said, me and Zach always said to each other, before Dutchie, if we could only get together, if I could, I always felt I could sell. He knew I could sell well. And he said, if you could, if I could only design a product that you could sell, you know, if you if you, if you could only sell a product of mine, and I would always say, if you could always, always design and manage a product and build a product that I could sell, you know, it, it would be a home run. It was kind of two peas in a pot, a perfect marriage there. So that was the foundation. And then right when I called him with this idea, I just said online ordering for the cannabis space. And unlike 99 out of the last responses I got from Zach of poking holes and playing devil's advocate, he just quickly responded you have to do it. It's, no, it's a no-brainer. It's perfect for you. Um, it's almost if you've read the Outliers book by Malcolm Gladwell, which is a phenomenal book. I fell into that bucket, right person, right place, right time. And not only did he say, and this is where it gets interesting, not only did he quickly say with a level of confidence that I hadn't heard from him ever when giving him an idea, sharing an idea with him, he said, not only do you have to do it, but he was in the 11th and a half hour of an acquisition of a company that he was the founder, a co-founder of, it was a fintech startup. He said, I'm in the 11th and a half hour of an acquisition. I'm wrapping this thing up in a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two. I'm ready to jump. Sh- let me, let me join and let's do this together. And for me, just like his response to me so quick, I was the same way back and said, let's rock and roll. Um, and we quickly jumped on the same page. Uh, we got together and the fun started, let the, let the games begin. That was when the fun started and we like all good startups start off around a kitchen table on the back of a napkin. We started designing, you know, wire framing out and coming up with the, the fun thoughts of what this business would be from a brand standpoint to a strategy and vision standpoint. And that, that's that's when things started cooking.
0: Amazing. And obviously, uh, definitely cooking because it definitely uh, in COVID uh, things increased by a mile. So what happened there?
1: Yeah, so we're, we're three years into the business as of today. Uh, we started in 2017, July, and we really built the business. Uh, we did the, we, you know, the typical crawl, walk, run. We launched an MVP in 2017, smoothed out the kinks, moved across the state of Oregon, call it 50 dispensaries on the platform, maybe 50 orders a day to show the slightest bit of traction. And then we went and raised the seed round, and we're fortunate to have a great group of investors behind us. Casa Verde Capital took the lead, which is Snoop Dogg's firm, um, which is great to have from a cannabis standpoint. But the people, Curran and Yoni, to call them out, are, are at the helm of Casa Verde and are phenomenal people to work with. Um, have a great insight to the cannabis industry. And, and from there, we, we continued to, to expand, which led to a Series A uh, round of financing a year later um, and we started to build the team. And I'll, I'll, to lead up to, the, to what happened with Corona, Uh, About six months ago, we 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 were throwing the curveball that everybody else was in the world, and it was an unforeseen curveball, of course. In hindsight, we can we we realize that Um, we had fortunately the reason why I got into the, the backstory of what led up to it is fortunately we had built had time to build a product processes and a team, and had the resources to do that and the foresight of understanding what scale looks like, so we could start to build that foundation and have that in place and. Thank God we did because we got hit with this curveball and as great as it is to say, and I'm happy to say our business surged 700% overnight, we went from doing 10,000 orders to 70,000 orders literally overnight. Now, as as great as that is, uh, with that, that's a positive and sometimes a negative. You are stress tested as individuals at a company, as departments, from uh, as an organization, as a whole, from from people to, to, to process to product and your tech. Um, most tech companies don't endure that surge overnight. And most times a surge like that happens, it could take down a company, uh, whether it's again, people process product or tech. And fortunately we had that in place. So we were able to turn it out in a positive way. But what happened was our business just started to, to explode. And uh, we saw a heavy demand from dispensaries needing our tool immediately. We started onboarding hundreds of dispensaries week after week. Our implementation team knocked it out and our sales team funneled them all in. Um, our customer support team was there to support all this this crazy influx and, and new new clients as well as new orders. Consumers started flocking to the online ordering uh, menus of these dispensaries. And most dispensaries started requiring the need you must order online. And we started to become a larger size of, of the dispensary's wallet, if you will, um, as in you know, before COVID, we were thirty per, upwards of thirty percent of a dispensary's orders would be online. With COVID, it was close to ninety to a hundred percent. So we shifted not only in a surge in volume on all angles and stress tests to the like across the board, um, but really what we realized is we became we went from a nice to have value add tool to a dispensary or to an industry to a necessity. To it, to, we were required and running. Helping run these businesses, or even keep these dispensaries up and running, I should say. Um, so it was, you know, a, a wild ride and uh, a great story. And fortunately, we we came out on top. Um, you know, and I think the lesson there, if I look back, is just to you don't know what's you know. Let's go back to let's map back to the road trip. You don't know what's up ahead, and all we can do is have the right mindset and be prepared. So if we're prepared and we put our people, our process, uh, our product in place. And we have the right mindset because I'll tell you, as fun as it is to see your orders skyrocket and spike like that, those were the most stressful days of our business and arguably might be until the end. Those days, we all got on calls. We were working 20 hours a day, very little sleep. Everybody was strapped in, buckled in, communicating to a T, working together and really put to the ringer in the stress test. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a positive, but uh, it's important to be prepared and have the right mindset when things like that happen.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And and how much capital have you guys raised today? So today we've raised fifty three million in funding today. Very nice. And and who are typically like for a business like this? I mean, what what, what is the type of investors? I mean, is it like the typical uh, VCs or or what? Who would finance? Because obviously the cannabis sector, you know, it's it's not the typical SaaS or marketplaces type of stuff. So so who would finance a business like this typically?
1: Yeah, so it was always a struggle and still is, but uh, we're starting to see some movement in the cannabis space. So when we went and raised our seed in our Series A, uh, cannabis was was very young, still is today, but younger then. And we found that most institutionally backed firms um, wouldn't touch cannabis, and it, it would get to the LP level, and there would be a you know a, a block there, uh, and it made funding fundraising quite difficult um, and time consuming, and and. Quite inefficient. You would run a race with a firm to get to a level of excitement, than to realize oh, we can't—you know—they couldn't make the investment. Um, we were fortunate to find two venture capital firms: Casa Verde, I mentioned before, and the second one I want to bring into this is, is Grand Ventures, that are focused solely on the cannabis space. Uh, but more important, have a very strong understanding not only of the cannabis industry but business as a whole, tech, and how to scale. And they've been there before and done it in other industries. So we were, we were fortunate to bring them on in a seed and then Ground Ventures led in the A. Now, fortunately we're starting to see a, a bit of a, mo- a, a shakeup in cannabis and a movement on, t- towards legislation to legalization and a willingness for more to move into the space. I think you're starting to see uh, companies like Dutchie prevail and show that there's you know a huge opportunity there, that they have the right teams in place, that they're filling a nice void in the space and the unit economics makes sense. Uh, we're starting to see just, a, you know, things lift in the sense of uh, people are willing to kind of work it with the cannabis space. And fortunately, in our last round, uh, we were able to bring strong investors from outside of the cannabis space uh, that we all know of today. Thrive Capital took the lead. Um, and Thrive Capital, you know, we're fortunate to have them. They bring a wealth of knowledge and understanding all verticals in tech and, and you know, what works, what's worked and what hasn't in the past. And their network and ability to connect us with people that we need, teams we need, um, and businesses we need has just been invaluable to us. And then we were able to pair with uh, strong angel investors like Howard Schultz, um, the former founder and CEO of, of Starbucks, joined, joined the Series B. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, in closing and summarize this by saying there is a movement it, it, for investors moving into the cannabis space, which is great. For us, it's always, it, it has been a struggle being we were really early on in cannabis, but it's... We've we've fortunately done well there, and you know when I look at our cap table and our our, inv- our investors, it's I think it's really nice to look for. All investors are very different; they all bring a unique perspective and unique skills to the table, and it's important you know to to marry a you know marry a few investors together that offer different things and have a unique perspective. So we have, for example, Casa Verde and Grand experts in the domain experts in the cannabis space. We have institutionalized investors like Thrive that have a deep understanding of, of tech at scale um, and and what what that looks like at uh, later stage. And then we have people like Howard Schultz that come on as a visionary and a leader that can help leadership and, um, you know, high level values. And it really is nice to have all those pieces come together. Um, it's very valuable for us.
0: And And obviously, I wanted to ask you here. There's one question that I typically ask the guests that come on the show, and that is, obviously, this is your second rodeo. Uh, this one definitely, it seems like your biggest one to date. Uh, and, you know, definitely excited to see what the future has for Dutchie. But but obviously now, you know, like with with all these lessons, all this, you know, this incredible journey that you've had, if you had the opportunity to go back in time and, and have a chat, you know, with your younger self, with that younger Ross, you know, what, what would be that one piece of advice that you would give yourself before launching a business and why knowing what you know now?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um I I'll I'll keep mapping back to the same theme here. It's that mindset and it's it's really having the right perception, perspective on yourself. Um you know, it's going into it obviously confident but not knowing humbling yourself and don't be naive. We don't know what the road ahead. Um and be open to under, to, to understanding that and and watching as curveballs come in because they will always inevitably. They might look good, they might look bad at the surface. Um COVID was a perfect example for us for that. Uh, it's just to remain positive and have that mindset and know that, have faith in the team and, and, and that that with that right mindset, you'll get through it. So whether it's, you know, for, for, for this podcast, we've covered all the no's we experienced in raising capital, and persevering and having the right mindset to get through it, stay optimistic and positive, and you will, to seeing the stress that COVID brought on outside of yesing and order volume surge, they were some of our hardest days. Um, some days where you just felt like throwing in the towel, but if without having that proper mindset, you know, with having the proper mindset, you get, you get right through it and the team comes together and you see beautiful things happen. So uh, let's map back and keep the theme consistent here. Uh, it's all about mindset and make sure that you're mindful of your mindset always and always check it because it changes. Um, and what you know today changes tomorrow it's just like the weather so uh yeah keep the mindset positive and optimistic and 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 keep having that outside in perspective on yourself and what you're thinking
0: very profound ross so for the folks that are listening what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi
1: yeah so you could uh definitely check out dutchy.com you can contact us from the site our social channels are live with links in the footer there check us out on instagram of course uh twitter linkedin I uh, would love to hear from you guys. We're, we're, we're growing fast and we need all the, the help and talent we could, we could find. So uh, let's all stay connected and, and appreciate you for having me on
0: the show. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today, Ross. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it.